0: Hello and welcome to the Samungo's Podcast. This is episode 47 and this is part 2 of Peak Performance Under Pressure with Stephen Hearns. In this episode we're going to be looking at how to prepare for high pressure situations and how to stay calm in the moments. Let's just jump right in. Okay, so that was a wee bit of a, a kind of maybe a background to some of the the the, the book and, and, and what's included in it. It is an incredibly detailed book so I would highly recommend that you all go and Uh, and get yourself a copy there's so much incredible information like what you've heard but a lot more in the book but let's go on to talk about how we own the pressure is that okay so we'll look at different stages and and what you described in the book is um, this analogy with an engineering pump like another pressure system like you might get in an oil rig or in an engine or a power station and it has a pump, a control valve, you know, pressure testing, relief valves. And you kind of use that analogy um, for, for a, a system that has to deal with, with the types of pressures that we deal with. So why, why that was my understanding yeah, yeah. Of, the, of, yep. <laughs> of the diagram. But why did you choose that, that particular analogy and, and what would you like to, to add to what I've said?
1: Yeah, so the, the principle of the book is owning the pressure. We need to achieve the right level of pressure to achieve that zone of high performance flow. So as an organisation, as an operational team, and indeed as individuals, we need to be able to attain and maintain that right level of pressure. We need to own the, the pressure. And I was discussing this with um, some of my my mates who are engineers and we came up with this analogy of uh, an engineering pipe system which um, is designed to um, achieve a certain level of pressure within the system, keep it at that pressure and to have pressure relief valves when the pressure becomes excessive. So the book is has four sections which deal with the concept of, of owning the pressure. The the first section is the, the pressure pump, then we have pressure testing, we have pressure control, and then we have the, the pressure relief valves. So the the pressure pump is a but really the role of the organization Keeping the right level of pressure within uh, the whole system In order that the the teams that are part of that organisation And individuals that are working for that organisation Are provided with the right level of, of pressure And there are three main components to the, the pressure pump uh, One is organisational culture uh, How... Uh, organizations uh, actually support individuals, whether they are learning organizations, whether they are psychologically safe uh, operations, which is really important, particularly um, for, for teams which work in high pressure situations uh, and in high stake situations where the consequences of failure could be catastrophic. So absolutely, there's, there's organizational culture. The second part of that is leadership and how organisations are are led uh, by individuals uh, and how again people are supported in terms of equipment in terms of training um, and whether they are allowed to develop as individuals. And the third and final part of the the pressure pump is about selecting the right people to work within the the organisation. It is only a minority of people, unfortunately, that have uh, got the uh, the the right abilities uh, and the uh, the right attitudes to perform well in high pressure, complex situations. So it's vitally important that we have. Uh, the right selection processes to identify absolutely people who have got the right skills and um, they 've got the right level of knowledge but also that they have got the right attitudes and aptitudes to perform well as part of a team in a complex high pressure situation
0: so so you went and spoke to a number of organizations. Do you mind just giving us an example of one of those organizations and what they do um t- using those three examples that you give?
1: Yeah, so for selection, um what I did was I thought about what the most high pressure job uh is that I could imagine, uh and that has to be a military pilot. So I contacted the the Royal Air Force, and they very kindly let me visit um, RAF Cranwell, uh, where they select um, pilots for uh, all three parts of the the uh, the defence services in the UK, and also they select officers for for the Royal Air Force, and that was absolutely fascinating. To see the processes that they go through compared to um, selecting doctors for the NHS to to be honest with you. And what they've done is they have got a a very structured selection process which they have developed uh, and refined over 60 years in conjunction uh, with Oxford University. And what they can do is they can take a a group of individuals uh, off the street, uh, maybe people between 18 and and 30 years of age, and within three days they will be able to say with 98% positive predictive value that that person will become a pilot in the Royal Air Force, the Royal Navy or the Army. Uh, and I think that that's absolutely fascinating how they, they do that. So the the first day um, are at a computerized aptitude tests, um, where they look at your numerical ability, three um, D spatial awareness, um, etc. And the next day, they undertake a number of um, individual command tasks uh, and group tasks. They've actually got a, a full aircraft hangar, which um, a, is full of um Challenging situations and obstacles uh, using pieces of um, apparatus and equipment, which uh, each group uh, must complete within a specific time scale. And then the the third day um, comprises of uh, interviews and, and medical tests. But after just three days... Um, they can, if they say that you are going to be a pilot within the, the RAF, then 98% of those individuals in three years' time, four years' time will actually be a pilot. So it is. Uh, it was so, so impressive.
0: And this is controversial, uh, but could you ever see that being in healthcare? Now, not, not to that extreme, and I don't mean to, to judge who should or should not become a doctor per se, but in certain roles within medicine, you know, like some sort of aptitude test to say, well, you'd be better suited in that specialty. You might be better suited in one of the more acute medical... Do you think there's a role for even a modified version of that, or is that...? I
1: I absolutely believe that that there is. um, You, having supervised... hundreds of, of trainee doctors in, in emergency medicine uh, over the years and um, all of uh, all of them come uh, with the the requisite knowledge uh, the the requisite practical skills and um, But there are are, are certain people who um, can deal, for example, with fatigue well, who can deal with an overcrowded emergency department, who can lead a team and communicate well in a a high pressure situation with a critically ill patient. And there are others uh, who can do that less well. Um, and it would be fascinating for us to try and um, explore uh, different methods where we could identify what the right aptitudes and attitudes were for emergency medicine, for different types of surgery, for, for pre-hospital care uh, and try and, and apply those um, in uh, in more structured selection processes.
0: Okay, the next little system in your engineering pump is the pressure control system. So what did you mean by that? And can you give me some examples?
1: The pressure control um, is about cognitive aids. um, It's about how we work as a a team. And it's about um, how we... uh, Giving people the the right equipment uh, and having the right equipment management systems. What we are considering when we think about pressure control is we are imagining ourselves in a complex high-pressure situation and thinking about um, what practical tasks we might need to complete, what information that we might need to access and what decisions that we need to, to access. And all of those different t- types of things can k- uh, result in cognitive overload, which can push us from the zone of flow into the zone of frazzle. But through pressure control systems in the cold light of day, we can sit down and, and think about those decisions. We can think about what information people uh, need to access in a high pressure situation. We can think about the practical tasks that they need to undertake. And what we can do is we can write um, effective guidelines which are uh, absolutely optimally uh, designed structured they are an optimal length and thinking about how they can be accessed by someone in a high pressure situation to cognitively offload them and similarly with with checklists um uh, as well, thinking about high risk situations uh, or practical tasks which are are maybe uh, unfamiliar um and are, and are very complex, developing checklists that our teams can use before they they go out to uh, look after a patient or indeed before they start undertaking a, a complex high stakes task uh, and also another component of that is um equipment management it's essential that we give our teams the, the right equipment for the job that they do, but it's also vitally important that they are familiar with how to use that equipment, that that equipment is, is checked uh, efficiently, and also that if we have an equipment failure which easily can send us into the zone of a frazzle, that we've got um, redundancy there, we've got backup equipment, and also we've got troubleshooting guides to deal with cases of uh, equipment failure. So, pressure control Control, as I say, is considering what situation our teams or individuals uh, are going to face uh, and thinking in the cold light of day and preparing as much as possible um, to allow them to have the information to hand, allowing them to to have the right equipment uh, and the optimal systems to deal with that high pressure situation. Um, so just out of
0: curiosity, I mean, I, I, I've never worked in the MRS, but I, I know a lot of people who have, including yourself, and I know that you're very, very um, into the what you've just described, checklists and, and you know team dynamics and equipment management systems. You've been working in that system for 15 years. Was it always like that? Was it like that in the beginning, or, or how early did that begin? When did you start to introduce it into practice and what difference have you personally seen having introduced from you 15 years ago to you know your team today
1: there's been a a a huge um evolution in terms of the the safe systems that we use within the emergency medical retrieval service between uh 2004 and and now in, in 2020 and indeed the final two chapters in the book um the penultimate chapter describes my first ever retrieval which i i undertook um really on a, a wing in a prayer uh, and the final chapter describes how we would undertake uh, a, a retrieval uh, in 2020 and the the contrast between the two in terms of um pressure management particularly uh, pressure control is is absolutely huge um So, we um, within EMRS uh, invest uh, a lot of resources and a lot of time uh, into uh, developing really well-structured guidelines uh, which are used when we are inducting uh, new individuals within the team, but also that can be used in an operational setting, particularly for um, high stakes and unfamiliar uh, medical conditions. Um, And we've got about 100 guidelines uh, these days which deal with uh, clinical um Issues they deal with uh, transport issues, safety issues, um, etc., and they are all stored on a, an iPhone app. So um, our teams can actually access those um, wherever they are. Uh, they're always up to date. We can even look at them in the aircraft when they're on the way to to a job. Um, we also spend a considerable amount of time each day. ...checking uh, equipment, checking that it's there, that it's functioning, that it's in date. Again, this whole concept of if we actually opened the bag, um, a bag at a high-pressure pre-hospital job, for example and we found out that the piece of equipment wasn't there or wasn't working that is just going to increase the pressure massively and really compromise our our performance so we want to put as much time in in the cold light of day to reduce the chances of that um, happening and to to control that the the pressure uh, on our teams when they're actually out there looking after a a critically or injured patient so yeah there's um, pressure control is, is really absolutely fundamental to to the way that we operate here and with the MRS. Do
0: you feel less pressured now in 2020 as you did in 2004? Can, can you remember the pressure you felt then and, and have you felt the benefits of all that um what, what you've introduced over those 15 years?
1: Oh without without a doubt um the uh, we started probably in 2004 operating like many other um, professions and, and medical specialties, i.e. the success or the failure uh, for the patient was down to the knowledge and the, the skills of the, the doctors and nurses and the paramedics. Uh, and that isn't the case, absolutely. You require in your team to, to have a certain level of knowledge and a certain level of skill but you have to have everything uh, around that um, in order for those uh, individuals um, to use that knowledge and to use those skills when the pressure is high for, for each individual patient.
0: Okay, number three on our little uh, engineering pump is, is the pressure testing. What did you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so pressure testing is how we train people to perform well in a, in a high pressure high stakes situation and we can divide that into a, a number of, of sections uh, w- Absolutely, people need to have training in in human factors and really understand uh, what the pressures on them are. They need to understand what effect those pressures can have on their ability to make decisions uh, and and carry out practical tasks. And very importantly, they need to recognise the signs of excessive pressure in, in their colleagues. In medicine, though, we put a lot of emphasis on simulation and the, the section on, on pressure testing uh, talks about, about simulation. But simulation for me is very much about how we work as a, as a team, how we make decisions as a team, how we communicate as a, as a team. So it's very much about um, developing non-technical skills. And I think we have to, in medicine, have a distinction between simulation and drilling. Drilling is about identifying predictable, practical procedures and decisions that we might need to make in the emergency department, in the operating theatre, the, in a pre-hospital situation. And sitting down and considering the steps that are required to undertake that task and then repeatedly uh, drilling that task until we achieve personal perfection and completion of that task. And what that does is, It transforms the processing that's required for that task or that decision making from analytical processing to automatic processing. And what that means is in a high pressure situation, we can complete that task very quickly, very efficiently, and we leave part of our cognitive bandwidth freed up for dealing with other tasks Uh, and other decisions. So in medicine, um, it's important that we differentiate between drilling and and simulation. And as part of that uh, pressure testing, um, I also looked at what um, other uh, different types of professionals, particularly athletes, do in terms of preparation and training for high performance. And that includes uh, mental rehearsal, includes positive self-talk, uh, um, self talk, uh, and also the fact that we, particularly in uh, the pre-hospital environment, we need to maintain a certain level of uh, physical fitness um, to allow ourselves to perform well in, in that type of environment. So that you know, feeling tired and fatigued doesn't overwhelm us, resulting in, in poor performance.
0: Do you have a personal style of self talk? Do you have a certain thing that you say to yourself? Yeah. So there's uh,
1: the p- people that talk about about self talk and describe. I suppose they're they're. they're Two ways that we can do it. Um, we can imagine um, someone else uh, speaking to us, maybe um, a, a mentor that we've had that that thought that we were uh, proficient in, in undertaking the, the the task that we're doing, uh, and imagining their voice in your head um, telling you that you're you're competent to to do it. Uh, or there's actually our, our own voice in our own head, and that that's what I do. I've got um, certain, uh, I suppose, mantras in my head when. I, I'm in a high pressure situation, particularly ones that I think are, are deteriorating. Um, and my my own personal technique is to to have my own voice. Uh, and there are, there are certain statements that um, I, uh, uh, I I hear myself saying to myself uh, in those situations.
0: Any particular examples? <laughs>
1: uh, you, you've got this. Um, you've done this before. Uh, that 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 type of thing.
0: Okay. So what happens if? you unfortunately enter the frazzled state. Um, you talk a little bit about that in the book. That's the point number four, isn't it? So do you mind elaborating on that?
1: Yeah, so with the, the best intentions of uh, owning the pressure in terms of the, the, the pressure pump, in terms of pressure control, and, and all that training as, as part of the, the pressure um, testing techniques that we've got, it's inevitable that we as individuals or our whole team are are going to move from a zone of high performance flow into a zone of excessive pressure or frazzle and our performance is going to deteriorate. So there are a number of things that we can do, uh, which I've included in the the, the section called pressure relief valves to reduce the pressure on us, to try and bring ourselves and the team back into the zone of of high performance uh, flow. Before I speak about those techniques though, I think what's important for people to realise is that once you personally move into the zone of flow and you get that surge of adrenaline and cortisol, your personal insight um, deteriorates really pretty significantly. And uh, our ability to recognise that we're in that zone of frazzle personally and to do something about it is very, very difficult. So what we need um, when we're working in a team is for our teammates to recognise signs of us uh, becoming frazzled and to give us insight and awareness of that and to help us move into that zone of, of, of high performance flow. So there are various uh, pressure relief techniques uh, that I talk about in the book, which allow us to regain uh, personal composure and to regain situational control. Um, and uh, I like to uh, consider those using the uh, the mnemonic "Cam Down" or, or "Cam Down," uh, which is C A L M D O O. And the the C is for controlled breathing. And what we need to do is if we are getting a a surge of uh, adrenaline and and cortisol, that activates our our sympathetic nervous system. But if we can slow our breathing down, then that counteracts that um, uh, excessive uh, level of of drive within our uh, sympathetic nervous system and it does actually help to slow our heart rate down and to bring us back into that zone of high performance flow. Uh, the A is for articulate and it's if we are starting to feel that we are becoming excessively pressured then actually speaking out and letting other members of the team know how we are feeling and asking for support is, uh, is very, very important. The next is... L, which is for listing and prioritising. We've all been in situations which um, there's so much information and so much needing done that it becomes almost overwhelming. And if we pause for what I term a a rally point and we um, try and achieve a shared mental model within the team, then we can identify what the problems are and we can list and prioritise those. So L is for listing and and prioritising. And M is for mental model Um, As I just mentioned there Having a rally point And asking each individual member of the team What do you think is, is going on just now What do you think needs to be done And what our priorities are So achieving a shared mental model Is vitally important The Best way that we can reduce pressure on ourselves, especially as the leader in a high pressure situation, is through delegation, handing off practical tasks and decisions to other members of of the team. And the the next part is um, outsourcing. Um, potentially um, contact someone else um, who might have more specialist knowledge who isn't actually within that high pressure situation, and getting some specific advice from them can be can be really effective. I.e., phoning a friend. The other O is about getting outside of the situation, which is a simple term for cognitive reframing. If we are in a high pressure situation and we start to feel overwhelmed and all the, the stimulus uh, around us uh, is continually pushing us into that zone of frazzle, then getting ourselves out of that situation and thinking about something completely different, even um, for 30 seconds or a minute, um, acts to, to reset ourselves uh, and that is known as cognitive reframing. That's a really um, effective way of dealing with a high pressure situation. And then the final thing is, especially uh, for prolonged tasks, is nutrition, Making sure that we are adequately hydrated, uh, we've got enough carbohydrate and protein on board uh, and indeed potentially uh, using caffeine as, as well uh, if we are fatigued. So, Pressure relief valves, um, calm down, Uh, control breathing, uh, articulating, listing and prioritising, getting a a rally point to achieve a a shared mental model, delegating tasks and decisions, uh, outsourcing, uh, getting advice, uh, getting outside of the, the room to cognitively reframe and making sure we've got hydration and nutrition on board. So, Dr. Stephen Hearns, thank you so, so very
0: much. We're going to have to let you go because your shift starts in two minutes. We've pushed you right to the limit. Um, so, your book, which is fantastic, where can people get it?
1: Yeah, the book is uh, available uh, from two main uh, sources uh, it's available on Amazon uh, or it's in uh, available directly from the, the publisher, Class Publishing.
0: Anything you'd like to leave us with?
1: Just like to say that, um, for those of us who are working in, in high pressure situations, particularly within uh, the the NHS uh, I think it's really important for us to think about specifically what pressures we are under and to try and use some of these techniques to try and own uh, the, the the pressure partly to look after individual patients but also for our own personal well-being it is not good for us to be in uh, the zone of excessive pressure uh, shift after shift it really isn't good for our patients uh, and it's certainly not good for our own uh, personal mental health and and well-being
0: So many, many thanks to Stephen Hearns for that interview. I think it's worth emphasizing that this was recorded a few weeks before we were aware of the pressure that was coming from the pandemic. So it isn't COVID-19 specific, but I hope there's some helpful advice for the weeks ahead. We're not going to do any take-home points, but I thought I'd direct you to our show notes where there are links to a few helpful things at this time. Firstly, to Stephen's book, or you can search Peak Performance Under Pressure on Amazon. There is also Stephen's website, Core Cognition, where there's a lot more resources around human factors and performance under pressure. And I'd also direct you to another resource of my own, which is continuous.com, C-O-N-T-I-N-U-L-U-S, We run online lectures with the leading critical care experts in the world. And we have a number of free COVID-19 relevant lectures up uh, at the moment, including our most recent one with a U.S. psychologist uh, on how we can manage our own stress through this difficult time. So I hope you all keep safe and well over the coming weeks ahead. Uh, I'm not sure when our next podcast will be out, but hopefully we'll see you all again safe and well on the other side. Take care.